0: All our lives, isn't there? Um, We've heard from Alice. We've maybe thought about our own situations and troubles, our own challenges. Um, And as we come to this chapter in Daniel's, uh, the, the book of Daniel, chapter six, we see quite a challenge, a trouble that calls for Daniel to trust in his God in a whole new way. We've seen evidence of it already going through the book, and we get to Daniel six, and now we see him. ...having to apply that trust again. Will he do it? Will he be able? Uh, We've seen in chapter 3 the deliverance of Daniel's friends from the flaming um, the fiery furnace... ...and today we see deliverance from the lions. That classic story of the Old Testament that many of you may have heard as you grew up. Uh, Maybe you had a book with that story in it. And if you haven't, you're about to hear a story from the Bible... Um, that is quite incredible. Uh, you see the image there, beautiful image of a powerful, majestic lion and the deliverance that Daniel uh, experiences from that. Before, in chapter 3, Daniel, Daniel's friends were rescued from the Babylonians and here we have a rescue from the next empire, the Persians. Uh, we learn that Daniel and his frim- friends are, are rescued and delivered regularly. But those early rescues and victories... They don't guarantee an absence of troubles in the future. And again, maybe we can relate to that. Maybe we've got situations where we've come through troubles in our past. We've seen God move and answer prayers or or enable him to be with us in those hard times. And yet, just after a period of peace and normality, we find ourselves in another difficult situation. And we again seem to have to learn that lesson to trust God, to hold on to him. You see, for Daniel, a new king came, and a new trouble came with that new king. And Daniel is now in his 80s. He's not the teenager that arrived in Babylon and was quickly raised to a high position after his university program um, and that dietary kind of fasting that he, he, he did. Um, he's now reached the mature, refined age of being in his 80s. And it has made me think, what would I be like, will I be like, in my 80s. Maybe you've thought about that for yourself. Maybe you're in your 80s and you're an example to many of us of what it looks like to have faith towards the end of your life. And it's not often something we talk about. And I want to acknowledge and respect any that are older um, for the life of trust and faithfulness to God that you have exhibited and are an example of to the rest of us that are maybe younger younger. But Daniel today is going to call us to think about what it looks like to trust God to the end, in the end. And how as we see that, that Daniel models uh, a way of trusting God in the end, it is based on his trusting God um, throughout the early years of his life, throughout the middle years. In fact, it's about trusting God in the now, whatever might be going on. You see, a lot of it might be um, helpful as we consider maybe those that have passed away. Maybe the loss of a loved one, loss of a, a father, a mother, a grandparent. A situation where we pause and reflect on the end of life for someone. And as a community, we're experiencing this at the moment as we reflect on the loss of a faithful member in Jean Adcock that we shared about recently. Um, By the way, as an aside, her funeral details are in the weekly email. Uh, Do make sure you read that so that you know the plans. You are all very much welcome. But as we think about just Jean for a moment, a woman of faith, a woman who was marked by prayerfulness, marked by um, her godly character in her working life as a teacher, in her um, years in retirement as a member of the church and a part of her local community. Maybe a question we ask is, how did she continue to have faith to the end? How did she do that? Because it would be great for those of us that are younger to learn from that and apply some of that and to honour her and see how God is calling us to live. I read a, a tweet recently and it said, um, who is a spiritual leader or, or um, f- an individual that represents in your mind as one who made it to the end with faithfulness And integrity. Daniel does this. He is an individual we can look to who was faithful and had integrity, who was prayerful. And the response by someone that works for the Evangelical Alliance uh, said: J. I. Packer, Eugene Peterson, and Gordon Fee, also John Stott, Queen Elizabeth, Amy Carmichael, and my dad. So said the tweet. Wow, that individual respected his dad, along with a list of greats that some of you may. Have known. Actually, we so often rush past, um, in our grieving of those that pass away, ha- how we process our emotions and feelings about the end of life. How prepared are we to meet our own individual end? Why do we not prepare more for that? Talk about it, think about it, and listen to what God says about it. And as we reflect on Daniel, we'll discover that it's not just about Daniel modelling this this great faith that we somehow have to aspire to, this prayerfulness, this faithfulness, this bravery amidst the, the challenge of being thrown into the lion's den. What we discover, that it's less about imitating Daniel in that, but more about following and trusting Daniel's God. And as we follow and trust Daniel's God, we too can experience rescue deliverance maybe not from the lions in a den but maybe how our great savior Jesus went into that lion's den for us and rose from it to conquer death to conquer the fear that we need not have no more over the end of life and instead live life now with trust so as we look at Daniel 6 together we're going to see three things I'll highlight now and come back to through the through the message towards the end particularly about how we can grow in trusting God in the now so that we will trust God in the end okay trusting God in the now so we trust God in the end at the end and we know that end is is not the real end at all in our working life in our prayer life and actually at the end of our life how can we do that Daniel chapter 6 I'm going to read from verse 1 and as we read this, um, we'll remember that the people of uh, Israel, the Jewish people, tribe of Judah, was, was overwhelmed by the Babylonians, taken into exile in Babylon, and since then, after many years, up to 70 years nearly, uh, the new empire that has come along is the, uh, the Medes and the Persians. Babi- Babylonians have been overwhelmed, and they are the new um, residing power. And Daniel, along with many other faithful Jews, are living there, seeking to live out their faith distinctly uh, in a way that was above reproach and to fulfill God's promises. And this is what we read in verse, uh, verse 1. It's on the screen. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three chief ministers over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the chief ministers and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the chief ministers and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. We'll pause there. So here's Daniel. He's continued to be faithful, to be a man of integrity, and he is in a position, a high position, one of three prime ministers, as it were, over these satraps, which were provincial governors um, across the empire, and his job was to look after at least forty of them and to make sure that the taxes came in make sure that there was law and order, and make sure that that the kingdom had peace and would be prosperous and he was seen to be of the three the most distinguished the most excellent the most capable the king saw it saw that and wanted to honor that he was also full of innocence and um, n- not sinless we know that from scripture but He was a great shining example of what it meant to be an elderly man refined in faith, mature and above reproach. You see, we might wonder why and how that was possible. And I I think we discover that because um, comments are made about Daniel. And in chapter 5, verse 11, this is what we read. Um, as he is referred to, in 5 verse 11, it says, There is a man in your kingdom who is the spirit of the holy gods in him. In the time of your father, he was found to have insight and intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. So here we find that they remember Daniel, and he comes in to interpret that writing on the wall that we discovered, um, heard about last week. So Daniel was known to have the spirits of the God in him. What were the spirits of of the God? Well, it was the Holy Spirit of the living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was so able and raised into this position because God was working through him. God's spirit rested on him. He had had numerous promotions. He was honored. He was highly recognized. And it's in stark contrast to the kind of leaders that we often see today. Um, Maybe you've come across that that kind of team recruitment um, philosophy of the three C's. You've got to find someone with character, with competence and with good chemistry for your team. And um, and that's kind of used as a bit of a, a way of identifying who could contribute to your and and be recruited to add to your team of leaders or whatever it may be Uh, the problem is in today's world that character isn't as high up in that order as it should be it kind of is about competence or or probably chemistry in that if they get on with me and support my agenda then they're on the team Uh, and and then if they're competent okay great character well we'll just have to cope that's not the order and the message that we find here here we see Daniel is full of integrity. He's full of um, faithful character. He is honoured for that. And the people around him cannot stand it. They want to do all they can to bring him down. And that's what we discover. We we discover three um, problems that surface. And the first problem is the problem for the satraps. The other, um, not just the 120 other leaders, but also the the other two key prime ministers. And the the two others plot along with the other satraps and and they basically come up with a plan, a plan to figure out how to bring down Daniel. He's favoured, he's faithful, and they're jealous. They think he's flawless and they kind of look at him and they try and figure out how to bring him down. They cannot stand the way that Darius is looking at him with the honor he does. And so what happens? Verse 6. So these chief ministers and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal ministers, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So, King Darius put the decree in writing. So, here's the plan um, let's create a new law, let's make sure it can't be repealed, and that new law will catch Daniel out. See, the problem the satraps had was that Daniel was so highly esteemed and he believed in that God that they couldn't stand, and he was a Jew. And so what can they do to bring him down? They can create a law that he cannot keep. And so they create this idea of the Darius Appreciation Month. What king wouldn't want that? 30 days of praise and honor and recognition and no one can pray to any other god. In fact, Darius is basically a god and we'll pray to him, we'll honor him. What king wouldn't want that? This will catch Daniel out. This will help be how the satraps beat their rival. So they plot, they stream, and this time-honored tradition of the the law of the Medes and Persians cannot be overruled, because it is in place to keep law and order. And as soon as you do a U-turn on one law, then what about all the others? There's been lots of U-turns in the media as well, haven't there, recently? COP27, amongst many others. We get things wrong. We make wrong decisions. And suddenly Darius discovers Or later on in the story, Darius will discover that he has signed off a wrong decision, a law that he was tricked to agree to. So what is going to happen? What is the next problem? The satraps have that problem, and they deal with it by creating a new law. And then Daniel has a huge problem. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God as he had had done before. Then as these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help, so they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any God or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sunset to save him. So now Daniel's got a problem, and that problem is how does he be a faithful prime minister? How does he keep uh, the laws of the land that he is to make sure that others keep if it goes against his faith, if it goes against his belief? He can't keep both the Persian law and the law of God. So which one is going to be disobeyed and rejected? We know the answer. He will continue To obey the law of God. In fact, it's not a law, it's it's more than a law, it's above the law, it's his relationship with God which is met and experienced in that place of prayer. And so as in the, the book of 1 Kings chapter 8, we discover in Solomon's prayer, in the dedication of the temple, he says, and when and if the people sin and are sent in exile to another land, may they repent and turn to you in prayer. May they turn to Jerusalem and look to you, the God who gave Jerusalem and could return that people to the land. And here we find Daniel turning towards Jerusalem in prayer, saying, Lord God, we've sinned. We're in exile, but I appeal to you. And does he stop that when his life is in the hands of the king? When he may well be sent to the lion's den. He does not stop it. He continues to pray in spite of that pending penalty. Like David in the Psalms, who often talks about praying in the morning and in the afternoon and in the evening, Daniel is praying three times a day on his knees towards Jerusalem because the God who represents that city is the God that he turns to in his trouble. He doesn't stop. He continues to hope in the restoration to come. Do we have an immovable habit of prayer? If you're like me, the thing that goes when life gets busy is prayer. That's the thing that gets squeezed. For Daniel, it was the last thing that would go. He continued to pray. Sometimes we pray when we're in a crisis. That's when often we we go to God. But quite clearly, Daniel was used to praying so rhythmically, so regularly, that he didn't just go to God in a crisis. It was his norm to pray. And so in the crisis, he didn't stop that norm. He, can, he continued to it. So, and yes, habits can degenerate into lifeless rituals and routines, but they serve such a great purpose. This is what Dale Ralph Davis, a Bible commenter, said um, about it. He said, consistency assists courage and discipline feeds faithfulness. In the crisis, Daniel's habit set him free to be faithful. What a testimony that would be, that if in our crises, prayer was that habit that freed us to live out the crisis with faithfulness. To not shout and blame and argue with God but to appeal to him and seek his help but thank him and worship him in that moment so we have Daniel's problem how does he resolve it prayer and we have Daris's problem that surfaces next what on earth is going to happen to his main leader the guy that he has trusted in and developed and seen flourish and it's his right-hand man who is lined up to have that key position. And so he's distressed, he's determined, he does everything he can to rescue Daniel before sunset. But we know how the story goes. He can't, and so he ends up sending Daniel into the den. And we'll pick up the story in verse 16. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of, the, of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought him, and he could not sleep. What a problem. What is the solution? Well, actually, Darius can do nothing other than pray out to this God of the Jews, this pagan king crying out, hoping that somehow that God will will rescue that faithful Jew called Daniel. It's It's a plea for help. He's helpless. He's the great king of this Persian empire, and yet he is powerless. How does Daniel solve the problem? He prays and he trusts. What about the satraps? Well, they turn to self-interest. What about you and me? Do we turn to money to solve our problems, to time, to finding help in whatever way we can through people? Or do we actually bring God in and say, help me in my place of sin, of pain, of suffering, of despair, of needing rescue? We'll finish the story with verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? It's a plea. It's desperate. It's a hope. And we find that in the end the king ends up sending the satraps and those that conspired and plotted into the lion's den and they end up being crushed and overpowered by the lions. We see King Darius magnifying the god of Daniel and telling all the peoples under his empire to live in awe and fear of this god, the god of Daniel. And that if anyone worships or fears another god, Um, that that is not to be the case, but instead that they should worship and follow the God who rescues, who saves, and is on an eternal throne. What a story. What a classic story that we can enjoy together. And what is it that we can take away today? How can we trust God in the end? Daniel, in his 80s, continued to trust God. And he did it because he had a life of trusting God in the everyday moments. The three areas we can think about as we close, our working life, you'll notice the godliness that Daniel exhibited that enabled him to be promoted, to be a witness. It doesn't mean that if you're not promoted, it's of influence for the sake of God's grand purposes. But God is with us and cares about our work life. What is your character and conduct like in the workplace? Are you known to be distinct and different in how you live out your faith and show that you trust God in that space? The tests of faith that come in that environment. How do you embody um, the, the, the fruits of the spirit? How are you growing in an excellent spirit of faith so that your character can be magnified Um, as God can be magnified through your character and conduct in work. Character matters more than competence. Competence matters, of course, but character can achieve something so powerful, and it's spirit-empowered character change that brings glory to God. I met with someone this week from our Faversham site, uh, had a great coffee and catch-up, it was pouring with rain, so we didn't go outside in that nice seating area in the if you've been there. But we were downstairs in the kind of basement area. Um, but we enjoyed a coffee, and we were talking about life and church. Um, but we were talking quite a lot about work. And I was asking this individual about his work life and how he, you know, it just came up naturally for him to talk about um, the joy he has of, of, of teaching and education and seeing um, great values in education um, embodied through the leadership structures and different methods of teaching. And then he said that the trust that he's working for, or the organization is working for, um, really is about money-making. It's not really about the good of education, even though it's an education establishment, really, an organization. And he said, and I'm not sure I want to continue in it if the philosophy doesn't change. If it's about money-making, rather than about the good of education, then I'm not sure I can continue in that sphere. I might have to look at change. And I thought, what a great example of faith in the workplace and of how we can um, embody values of the kingdom and actually talk about them to our line managers and our bosses um, in a way that should make a difference. Wow, what an example. What an example of faith in the workplace. How can you embody Godly character in your workplace, in your retirement, in your home life with your children, in your phase of life wherever you're at. Secondly, our prayer life. There's a few things I want to just highlight from Daniel. And already through the book of Daniel, we've highlighted a few areas of prayer that I think are just so challenging. Corporate prayer, individual prayer. And here we have an example of of praying in a crisis continuing to pray on his knees, because he had a habit of prayer. So when a trouble came, he was ready to do what he had done throughout his life, come in dependence to his Father, to God, the one who could change, the one who could rescue and bring deliverance. And it struck me that to trust God in the end means trusting God in the now, which means developing a spiritual rhythm of growth in our life. And prayer is at the heart of that. How am I? How are you? How are we growing in our spiritual rhythms, our spiritual disciplines, our spiritual practices in the week of prayer, of reading the word of God, the Bible, of corporate um, worship, of prioritising our growth in these ways. And we get a model for prayer here that I think is so helpful. We find that he prayed as he had done. This was not a new thing. This was a normal. This was the obvious thing for Daniel to do. And we discover a posture of humility. He knelt. He recognized that God was king and he was not. When did I last kneel to pray? I sit in comfort. Maybe actually my physical posture should change more to reflect the petition's that i am saying but also the god that i'm praying to i think so often we can get stuck in the comfort comfortable routines that we have rather than thinking about the posture of our body our hands being raised as we prayed earlier laying on people kneeling physically responding to reflect the heart attitude that we seek to hold his posture his focus was towards jerusalem the place of promise the place of return the place of God, the dwelling of God, the restoration of the kingdom. He turned and he looked. And as we pray, we remember God's purposes. Jesus is coming back. He is with us in our suffering now. When we experience loss, crisis, trouble. Faith in the end, trust in the end, means trusting in the now. Posture, focus. He thanked God before he asked God for help. Did you notice that in the passage? Wow, what an example of prayer. He thanked God, and after thanking God, in the middle of his trial, he asks God to help. We must ask, we do ask. Let's not forget to thank, but let's also ask, knowing we ask our Heavenly Father, and he is able to answer our prayers. That is the rhythm that he held. If you want to learn or think more about those spiritual disciplines and practices and habits and rhythms that we can have in our life do check out our podcast the Ant- uh, postcards from antioch series we're covering spiritual disciplines in it at the moment and then lastly not just working life and prayer life at end of life how do we prepare well for that how do we trust god in the end well the only way Is to remember that we're rescued by the sent one. Did you notice the phrase that we find that I read um, about the sent one? Daniel was rescued because of the sent one, the angel that came and shut the mouths of the lions. You see, this is a foreshadow of Jesus. Jesus, the one who Daniel experienced rescuing him in the lion's den. We ha- can have Jesus enabled life, hope in death, hope at the end of the life because of what Jesus has, has done. See, yes, we can imitate Daniel's faith and we should prayer life, work life but we can never pray enough, we can never work well enough, we can never have the greatest character because we're sinful, flawed, and we mess up. But it's okay because we've got a sent one, we've got a rescuer the rescuer that Daniel knew, the sent one that Daniel experienced in the lion's den, the Lord Jesus, who who actually was the righteous servant, who also was plotted against and schemed against, who was falsely accused, even though he was innocent, who was sentenced to, to death and went to the lion's den of the grave, that had a stone in front of it that was sealed, that then... Turned to be empty as Jesus rose in power from the grave. A bit like the resurrection that Daniel experienced in rising out of that tomb. Much to the delight of King Darius. And so how do we cope when we think about the end? Or people that we know who are at the end? Well we do it by trusting in God now as we work, as we pray. But as we remember our rescuer Jesus. He conquered death. He delivers us and he is with us in our troubles now. Let's pray that God would enable us to trust him in the end as we trust God today. Father, help us. Father, enable us by your power. We thank you for your spirit that enables us to work with integrity. We thank you for your Uh, reliability as we come to you in prayer because you are the God we can depend upon. And we thank you for Jesus, our rescuer. And we pray that we would know him, the sent one, in the middle of our trials right now.